as a dad, there's two commands um, or two instructions that I find repeating myself every single day, especially when my kids are young. And it's the command to look and to listen. Whether we're coming up to a street and I'm holding the, the hand of my four-year-old son, I'm, I'm trying to get him to understand that uh, in the, the natural progression of his life, that there's an awareness that he needs to have in order for him to flourish. I think God's heart is the same. Um, I think about when uh, my, my, my son is running, he has this really bad habit of as he's running, he wants to see who's chasing him, which means that he is going full speed with his eyes looking behind him. And you can imagine uh, the things that he runs into as he's trying to move forward, but his eyes are fixed somewhere else. And I'm constantly saying, look what's ahead of you. Uh, I think about when my daughter was just starting school and she would struggle with a lot of fear going to school. And I remember there was these internal um, voices wanting to tell her that uh, her being away from mom and dad was not going to be safe. And I remember just wanting to just say, L listen, mom and dad love you and we're going to make sure that we know what's best for you. And so all the time I'm inviting my children to look and to listen. Well, I think about the Apostle John, and he writes not only the gospel and the biography of Jesus's life, but at the end of his life, he writes the last book of the Bible, a book called Revelation, which is really the Father's heart to his spiritual children. At that time, he writes these seven letters to, to these seven churches in Asia Minor, which are all under his care. But the number seven really, it's, it's a number of completeness. This is really a letter to the church from really one of the founding fathers of the church. One thing that's important to notice that as, as John is communicating his, his fatherly heart, ultimately God's fatherly heart to these people that he loves and cares for, they are in the midst of intense despair. It's interesting that one of the questions I've been asked most this year as a pastor is, do you think it's the end of the world? Um, and sometimes I just kind of chuckle because I'm like, I, I don't know. I'm <laughs> definitely not an expert in that area. Uh, but the question's been asked enough to let me know that this is on people's heart. There's something about 2020 COVID, the racial injustice, the political unrest, that there's something about this that have made people start to feel pretty uneasy. And so as I've been praying and prepping for today's message, I've really just been reflecting on this idea of, well, there are things that we don't know. We don't know the day or the hour. But what do we know about God's heart? What would he want to be communicating to us today? And so I just would like to just present to you those two words. What if God is asking us through the book of Revelation to look and to listen? You see, when this book is being written, the, the church is under immense persecution. 20 years prior to this, the temple had been destroyed under Caesar Nero, and now there's a new Caesar in town and his name is Domitian 
and historians call this period from AD 80 to 90 uh, the reign of terror. Tens of thousands of Christians were being killed uh, every single year because Domitian created this command that once a year you had to go into a temple and you had to express that Caesar is Lord. Well, these followers of Jesus held a conviction that only Jesus was Lord. And so in their refusal to pay homage and worship a human being, they began to lose their lives. And so this is, as this is progressing, they look at John, who's kind of the leader of this, this area of churches, and they realize if they kill John, that it'll actually create an uprising. He'll be a martyr. And so what they do is they exile him to an island called Patmos. Patmos was an island 10 miles off the coast of Turkey, and it was a rock quarry. This is where they would go and they would hewn stones, and so they would send prisoners and exiles there essentially to work to death. So you can imagine that John's own despair as he's longing to be with his churches who are in the midst of a lot of pain and who are convinced that it was the end of the world. They're convinced that Jesus was on his way back. And they're just and they're trying to figure out well where is God in the midst of this uncertainty and pain and confusion and suffering. And John as he's longing to be with his churches, or he's, you just almost imagine him sitting on the coast, maybe on some of the rocks that he's hewn, and, he, and, he's, and he's there and he says that in Revelation chapter 1, it kind of opens up with saying that John was there on the Lord's Day, which was Sunday, it's kind of the, the Christian Sabbath because of Jesus' resurrection. It says that he was in the Spirit. So you imagine he's all alone, and all of a sudden that he's filled with the spirit and he has this vivid revelation, this apocalyptic vision. And all throughout this book, what are the two commands that keep coming up again and again? Look and listen. So let's, let's read Revelation chapter one. We're gonna start in verse 12. John said, I, I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. Among the lampstands was someone like a son of man dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet and with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living run. I was dead, and now look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. Write therefore what you have seen what is now and what will take place later. So here, here's John, and he has his vision. And there is this, this brilliant commentator on the book of Revelation named Daryl Johnson. Daryl Johnson points out that as John is describing this epic vision of the resurrected Christ, and he starts to list these things, he, he's doing it 
um, with literary brilliance. So uh, Jewish literature doesn't write linear. Uh, oftentimes, more often than not, it writes in a chiastic structure. And the chiastic structure looks like the first point and the last point match up, uh, the next point and the second to last point match up, all the way till you get to the middle. And the middle is the focal point of what the author or the poet is trying to get you to focus on. Well, if that's true, this is what John's doing. I want you to notice what we just read. The first point and the last point talk about head and face. The next point talks about eyes and mouth. The third points talk about feet and hand. And when you get to the middle of the description, what you find is his voice. It is the voice of the resurrected Christ. What is the is the the call to as his pastor's longing for his church in the midst of crisis, it's to listen. Matter of fact, Daryl Johnson says that the most basic posture of a disciple of Jesus is listening to his voice. And I couldn't agree more. If there's one prayer that I have as a pastor, if you're watching this and you're part of Light Church, my prayer right now in this season is that you would be attentive to the voice of God, to believe that he is speaking to you even now. And that he's not absent, he's not far off. If you notice, the, the seven golden lampstands, those are descriptive words of a temple that was destroyed 20 years before under Caesar Nero. But yet God's presence is with John, exiled on Patmos, on a rock quarry. The Holy of Holies shows up. And we have that same promise that no matter where you are, if you're in your living room, if you are under economic distress, if you're under men mental and emotional distress, God can show up and is showing up. We have the invitation to posture ourselves in such a way to hear the voice of the resurrected Christ who's conquered death, hell, and the grave. And he's inviting us to listen. Matter of fact, over 32 times in the book of Revelation, there is this command to listen, or I, I heard. Uh, Thomas Kelly, in his book, A Testament of Devotion, writes this. He says, we must cease trying to make ourselves the dictators and God the listener and become the joyful listeners to him, the master who does all things well. I love uh, Kelly's description that so oftentimes, especially I think in crisis, we want to become the dictators, the ones who speak, which is, there's a place for that. He says, we must become the joyful listeners. What is God saying right now to his church? What is God saying to you right now? There's another book that I've been reading right now that has been really impactful for me in this season. There's a book called The Attentive Life by Lighten Ford. He says this in his book, each of us is called to a life patterned by Christ, a life not shaped by inner compulsions or captive to outer experience expectations, but grown by the inner voice of love. What would it look like for us in this, in this season to stop trying to analyze the future, to stop trying to figure things out, and to devote that energy to say, what is the God over all of the universe speaking right now? Again, for a church 2,000 years ago, who believed it was the end. They were facing persecution and pain. We could never imagine at that level for the church. Yet God was speaking. Jesus was speaking. Which kind of begs the question, what is he speaking? 
right? If we're supposed to be that child listening to the voice of our Father, what is he speaking? Well, there's a lot in the book of Revelation, uh, but there's two things directly in this context. The first command that he gives is do not be afraid, which I couldn't think of a more appropriate invitation for a father to his children, from God to his church, from Jesus to your heart. Don't be afraid. Matter of fact, it's the most repeated command in all of scripture. Do not be afraid. And his appeal to this is Jesus speaking to, to John in this revelation, is that he's conquered all, even death. I mean, if you, if you trace fear all the way to the end of what's the worst that could happen, Jesus says, yeah, I've dealt with that as well. And because of that, he invites us to a place of peace. But what, what I love is the next command that he gives is the command, look. And again, you see this command, look, or I saw, but specifically as a command, all throughout the book of Revelation. John again and again and again, he's like, wow, I didn't see this. As a matter of fact, the book of Revelation ends with the command repeated three times. And if you know anything about Hebrew literature, when you repeat something three times, uh, it's, it, it's screaming at us. And the thing he repeats three times is, look, I am coming. And so at the end of this, it says, do not be afraid. Look, I'm coming. Uh, you can't separate the two. You see, it's when we look. It's when we look attentively, when we focus the, the inner gaze of our heart on the goodness of God, that we're able to obey the first command, which is do not fear. You can't have one without the other. You see, if we want to let fear dissipate in our hearts, we need to look intently into the eyes of the one who's conquered all. I think about Peter walking on the water, and it's not like Peter's buoyancy changed when he began to sink. His gaze began to change. And I am just convinced, I'm even pleading with you to pay attention to the inner gaze of your heart. What are you focusing on? Is it... Is it scrolling through social media? Is it binge-watching uh, news? Um, is it trying to figure out, or, or are we looking attentively into the face of the God who loves us and who rules us and who has the ability to bring us peace? Three things that we see in the book of Revelation that we are commanded to look at. Number one, the very first thing we see John look at is the resurrected Christ. It's a holy God. And I would encourage you, if whatever comes to your imagination when you think of looking into the face of God, a good place to start is, is, a, is holiness. It's, it's power and majesty and glory. Read Revelation 1 and then meditate on each line and, and understand that this is, this is the same John who leaned his, his head up against Jesus' chest is now seeing that same Jesus with, with, with eyes like fire and hair like wool and this amazing robe. And sometimes it's good for us to focus in on the, the reverence of who Jesus is on. So look at Jesus in reverence. Number two, look to Jesus through relationship. One thing that you'll find over the next few chapters as he writes books 
uh, I'm sorry, letters to the church, is this sense of intimacy, return to your first love. And so some of you have an easy job imagining Jesus in his glory and righteousness, but do you also understand that it's the same Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. He who lets me come in, I will dine with him. Some of us need to take an intimate look, a gaze into the relational God that longs to be with us. And lastly, I'm sorry, before that, St. Augustine says, From the noise that is around to the joys that are silent, why do we rush about? We are looking for God who is here at home with us. I just love that. I want to leave you with that quote, this idea of his rhythm. Looking at the relational, loving being that is Jesus towards us. Augustine says, why are we rushing around when God is at home with us? But here's the last thing I would encourage us to look at. is to not only look at Jesus in reverence, to look at Jesus through relationship, to look to Jesus for redemption. What's amazing is the book of Revelation, the Bible ends with this command to look at for Jesus coming back and what you see, and I don't we have time today, but I would encourage you to read Revelation 22 and see how this, this description of the restored Eden. What should we be looking towards? We should be looking to Jesus' return. Not only his eminent return is coming someday, but the fact that God even now is in the process of redemption and restoration, and he invites us to be a part of it. One last story. One of my favorite authors, Henry Nouwen, um, is a pro- prolific author and professor. He taught at Notre Dame, taught at Harvard, uh, but towards the end of his life, he found himself becoming increasingly depressed, and he was extended an invitation to become the priest of a place in a place called Daybreak near Toronto, Canada, that was a home that served adults with severe disabilities. And uh, Nowen left his tenure at Harvard and spent life specifically with a, a man named Adam and with other people at Daybreak uh, to spend the last 10 years of his life uh, ministering to those who had severe disabilities. And, and his friends described that was Henry Nowen at his happiest. And there's a story that he was, he was having chapel with these adults and he describes how Jesus is coming back and that we're to look to Jesus coming back. A couple days later, Nowen is walking around and he notices that the, the windows are completely dirty, they're filthy, and so he calls one of the grounds workers and says, this is unacceptable. Like, these people deserve our best. We need to clean these windows. And the person working the grounds looks at him and he says, we clean them every day. He says, ever since you've, you've told the, the residents here about Jesus coming back, they've spent hours looking out the window for his return. I remember when I heard that story, I was so moved to think that within the beauty and the simplicity of heart, where Henry now has spent his last days, um, in his own words, says that they taught him more than he ever taught them. That there was a fixation of focus and attentiveness to Jesus. Can I just remind you 
that no matter how things feel right now on, on earth and how uncertain things can feel, we serve a God who is present with us, who is king over all, and his kingdom is unshakable. So as his children, would we look to his coming? Would we look intently into the relational invitation he's given us? And would we listen? I'll tell you what, even, even before uh, you turn off this video, maybe this is a good time just to press pause. Get on your knees. And just in the, the stillness and the quiet of wherever you are, just begin to look at God who's looking at you in love. It's my favorite definition of contemplation. Looking at God, looking at you in love. Now let's begin to start listening and let's let him shepherd us through this season. Shepherd us unto himself. That we would be a people of peace and purpose, hope and love. And that the world would see that light. So let's, uh, let's just spend a moment in prayer. Father, we thank you so much that we don't have to worry like the world worries. And God, to be honest, it doesn't mean that we don't have anxious thoughts, that we don't struggle with the future, but Lord, thank you that we have something that is so significant and that is your presence. Would we orient our life around it? hearing your voice, looking at your face, and would it settle our hearts? Oh God, would it move us forward the same way you moved the church forward 2,000 years ago? God, we are ready to be led by you. We fix our gaze on you as we run ahead. We fix our ears on you and the voice of our Good Shepherd, our loving Father, and the resurrected Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.